You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and oh, oh boy, Bears fans, that was a rough one. Why do I feel like every time I start this podcast, I kind of start with a, oh boy, Bears fans, that didn't go well. Every time, except one week and and that's kind of where i'm at here is is to me time of death chicago bears season was right about 3 p.m central on october 15th the record falling to one and five justin fields being injured this the bottom had been threatening to fall out on this season and it just absolutely did right right like everything now has officially gone wrong for the chicago bears this season. Literally, there is nothing that I can look to that has gone right. So we're going to talk about it here. We're going to be joined. I'm looking forward to this. Jason Fitz. Uh, you can follow him at Twitter at Jason Fitz if you want to catch up on his stuff. Does a lot of college football coverage for, for Yahoo Sports, NFL coverage. Is a host on Fox Sports Radio. He's a longtime host with on ESPN. Was a co-host with Sarah Spain. If, if you know her well, of course, ties to Chicago with Sarah. So, you know, looking forward to talking with him. We're going to talk a lot of different things. He's a Raiders fan, follows that Raiders team closely. So we'll talk to him a little bit about the Raiders. I want to talk to him about some of these college football prospects. I want to talk to him about kind of building an organization. Because, again, that's, that's a guy who's followed a Raiders team. And if there's an organization, I think, that rivals the Bears with a lot of ineptitude and questionable decisions in the front office, it's the Las Vegas Raiders. So we will absolutely talk to him about that. And, um, you know, before we do, let's let's dive into this game because this is rough. And this is rough for multiple reasons. And we can, you know, start with the quarterback, start with the coaching. It doesn't matter where we start because what the Chicago Bears did was disappoint the entire fan base that finally had some hope breathed into the season. You know, for, forget tanking, forget Caleb Williams, forget any of that stuff. This is a, a 1-4 team. This was an 0-4 team that goes out on national television, beats Washington, looks professional, looks good. Justin Fields performs. DJ Moore lights out. The defense is improving. You could sit there and say, look, things are improving. The Vikings stink. They could beat the Vikings. They could beat the Raiders. You know, the Saints aren't impossible. The Panthers. Suddenly, maybe this team can get four or five wins under their belt and get some momentum and some confidence into the second half of the season where things get a little tougher on the schedule. But at least there would be an opportunity to have some momentum and some things going in the right direction where you could compete with good teams. It was lining up that way despite just one win there was an opportunity for hope, and of course, Bears fans ran with it because that's what we do. We are a hopeful bunch of people. As angry and agitated and as as much as this Bears 
you know, team lets us down. We continually get hopeful year after year after year. I mean, the amount of fans that said this Bears team could make the playoffs. I saw analysts, you know, content creators that thought this team could make the playoffs. I wasn't ready to go that far. I certainly didn't think they'd be sitting here at one and five through six games of the season. But that's where we're at, because, you know, despite playing good football for seven of the last eight quarters, they came out flat against the Minnesota Vikings. Just a multiple, you know, system failure on multiple levels. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Let's start with Luke Getze, who seemed to resort back to what he was doing prior to Denver and Washington, right? This is a Brian Flores team that blitzes a lot, one of the heaviest blitzing teams in the league. And you said, let's not move Justin around in the pocket. Let's have Justin sit right in the middle of the field and let Daniel Hunter and, and, and the blitzing guys and everyone just tee off on him. Like, what, what is that? How do you possibly think that is a good idea? Pro problem one. Problem two, Getsy goes back to a lot of short stuff doesn't do a lot of the stuff, doesn't get DJ Moore involved early, list goes on and on. There were so many problems with Getze, but at the same time, the offensive line, the pass blocking from the offensive line was woeful. Some of it was scheme-related, some of it was talent-related. They continued to struggle of having anyone capable at center. They had Lucas Patrick out there for weeks, and Lucas Patrick failed at center. He was a very poor blocker, I don't know about the line calls he was making. I don't know about the cleanliness of all the snaps he was making, but the blocking was poor. You couldn't continue to have Lucas Patrick out there. So Tevin Jenkins comes back. You have the opportunity to slide Cody Whitehair over and say, well, hopefully Cody Whitehair, who had been blocking poorly at left guard, maybe he has an opportunity to block better at center. That looked like that was what was happening against Washington, but Whitehair against Minnesota was awful. He could not snap the ball. Every snap seemingly was bad, but there were four or five that were absolutely atrocious. He finally gets benched. All right, so here we are, right? We as, a, as an organization, the Chicago Bears organization says, let's give Lucas Patrick a shot. He failed. Let's give Cody Whitehair a shot. He failed. So what should we do next? Should we go back to Lucas Patrick, who we already know can't handle the job? Or should we try Dan Feeney, who we traded a six-round pick for, and see if he can play center? Why did Ryan Poles trade for Dan Feeney? I understand how banged up the Bears were in August at the end of the at the end of the training camp and end of preseason, but the bottom line is they were almost all healthy except for Doug Kramer by the time the Packers game rolled along. So if he traded for Dan Feeney, was it just for for, for covering his ass in week one against the Packers? You can't burn a six-round pick for that. That's a idiotic decision if that's what it was. Is Dan Feeney that bad in practice? So did you scout so poorly that when Dan Feeney showed up, you're like, oh, we can't play this guy. He's terrible. Or is Dan Feeney ample and he just hasn't had an opportunity? I don't expect Dan Feeney to be great, but can Dan Feeney be better than Cody Whitehair or Lucas Patrick? It's certainly not impossible. Let's absolutely give him a shot. And if Dan Feeney stinks... I'm not a Doug Kramer fan. I don't think he has the feet to, to be successful at the NFL level, but let's give Doug Kramer a chance. What, why do we continue to go back to people who can't handle the job? There was a perfect opportunity to move on last week against Minnesota, and they chose not to do it. 
So I don't understand the thought process at center. That created problems all day long. Tevin Jenkins wasn't great. Nate Davis wasn't great until he got hurt. Now Nate Davis, high ankle sprain. That means he's probably going to be out four to six weeks. That's never easy for an offensive lineman to come back. You know, Darnell Wright was okay. And then you had Larry Borum on the other side giving a typical Larry Borum game. So the pass blocking was not good. On top of that, Deonta Foreman had to do a lot of pass blocking downs and they did not call it right for him. He did very poor pass blocking. And sometimes, yeah, it was on Foreman because he's not a good pass blocker. And other times you set him up to fail. Like the interception for Justin Fields, Deonta Foreman got blasted into Justin Fields because he was trying to block Daniel Hunter one-on-one. There's no chance. Hunter's a beast. He just threw Foreman like a ragdoll into Justin Fields, forced the ball up into the air as a duck, and they intercepted it. That's just poor poor line call. You got to have the big block Daniel Hunter. You can't have Darnell Wright block the, the defensive back, the blitzer, and have, have Deonta. You got to call that better. You, you have to be smarter. Whether that's Luke Getze, whether that was a call at the line of scrimmage, you have to be better as an offense. And that brings me to Justin Fields, who had a poor game. There is no way around it. Justin Fields did not play well. And again, we can do the blame Getze, blame offensive line, blame whoever, but the bottom line is Justin Fields did not play well. Now Justin Fields is hurt. He's hurt his throwing hand. He's hurt his thumb. Who knows how much that's going to impact him moving forward. We don't know if he's out of game, two games, five games. It is a total crapshoot as to how much time Justin Fields is going to be out. And because of that, we have no idea about Justin Fields moving forward the rest of the season and honestly, the rest of his career. And that's a major problem because to me, this injury is to a point that this basically ends Justin Fields' career. And no, that doesn't mean he's going to be out for the rest of the season. But Justin Fields now, he's going to miss a couple games. He's going to be coming into the second half of the season now with his first half of the season resume being two good performances, multiple poor performances, and an injury. And this is a guy who has been injured in year one and year two and now in year three. That's going to play against him as well. So Justin Fields has a lot going against him. He is going to have to play like Patrick Mahomes when he comes back to save his job. And that sucks. And, and and I keep talking about this, and I see a lot of people going into my mentions on Twitter and whatnot talking about how I'm cheering against Justin Fields and I hate Justin Fields, and that is not true at all. And that, honestly, you, you know, you can call me an idiot, call me a loudmouth, call me, you know, I don't know anything about football. I don't care. Go ahead. Come at me. That's fine. But don't tell me I'm cheering against Justin Fields. I wanted this kid to succeed so damn bad. I mean, when I, I tweeted out, the day they drafted him, I tweeted out he was going to be the best Chicago Bears quarterback for the last 70 years, meaning he was going to be better than Cutler, better than McMahon. It's not that it's an amazing list, but it's literally saying the only Hall of Fame quarterback the Bears have had is Sid Luckman, and Justin Fields is going to be no worse than below him. That was the kind of hope I had for him, and I continued to have hope, and I had hope going into this season. You didn't hear me bagging on Justin Fields all of last year. I talked about how there was hope and how he needed support and he needed help on the offensive line and he needed people to throw to. And you can't judge him based on the crap that Ryan Poles put around him the year before, you know, his first year in that system. And of course, what Matt Nagy did to him as a rookie. So I sat there and defended Justin Fields. But then when you see the performance he had coming out of the gates against the Packers and against the Bucks and against the Chiefs, like, you, you can't look at that and just continue to say it's Luke Getze's fault, it's the offensive line's fault. 
Darnell Mooney shouldn't have dropped that. Cole Komet should have run a better route. You can come up with 857 excuses, but the bottom line is Justin Fields wasn't getting it done. And that was upsetting and frustrating to me. And now we're at a point where he's even further behind the eight ball. So Bears fans with this, it's Justin Fields, you know, ride or die against everyone else. It's just fans trying to be objective and trying to look at this thing and go, it sucks that Justin Fields isn't the guy. And I said this postgame show to Mason West and I mean it. Like, unless he ends up as the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, I want Justin Fields to be successful wherever he is next year, assuming he's not on the Chicago Bears. If he's on the Atlanta Falcons, call me a Falcons fan. If he's on the New England Patriots, call me a Patriots fan. Like, it doesn't matter where he ends up. I will hope Justin Fields is successful because I still see, you know, you still see the games, right? We know the explosive running that he showed last year. We, we saw the arm talent that he put on display against Denver and against Washington. You know, the dynamic throw to DJ Moore on Moore's, what was it, second touchdown against Washington. Like, we, we know the talents there, and, and I certainly think he's a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky. I don't think Justin Fields is headed for, you know, just to be a backup in this league. I think Justin Fields is a starting caliber quarterback. Now, is he a top 15 quarterback? I don't know. And that's going to be up to a better offensive coach to bring him in and hopefully mold him and get rid of some of these issues and get him playing in rhythm and, you know, anticipating throws and, and playing on time. That's going to be up to a better offensive coach because Luke Getzey couldn't do it. Matt Nagy couldn't do it. And maybe you can't do it with Justin Fields, but I still feel like there is hope that he could be that guy, but he certainly is not going to be the guy here because look, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't right now with Justin Fields and the Bears, and this is what I mean by that. If Justin Fields is only out a game or two and comes back and, like I said, plays like Patrick Mahomes, if he plays that well to save his job, then that means the Bears are going to win games. You can't play at the level that Justin Fields would have to play at and lose every game. There's just no way that's going to happen. So the Bears start winning games the second half of the season. They go 6-2. and two second half of the season, you know, whatever it might be with Justin Fields. And Fields puts up great numbers. You know what Justin Fields just did? He saved Matt Eberflus's job. So if you're in a Eberflus stinks, and I think Matt Eberflus stinks. In fact, I tweeted out from an analytics guy who actually put together some analytics to measure play calls, which I'll be honest, I don't quite understand the math, and I'm a pretty good math guy, but I didn't quite understand how he was getting there, but he came up with, with, play calling and numbers and and put the math behind it. And when you've got Detroit and San Francisco and the right teams at the top and teams like Denver's defense and Chicago and everything at the bottom, well, then it's making sense whatever your analytics are as far as I'm concerned. So he came up with, a, with a, an equation that literally shows that the Chicago Bears coaching staff is the worst in the league. When you combine offensive and defensive play calling and combine them, the Bears are the worst in the league. And Matt Eberflus is the worst defensive play caller in the league, according to that metric. So the Bears coaching staff is absolutely atrocious. There, there is no saving this coaching staff right now. But if Justin Fields goes on a heater the second half of this season, then yes, Justin Fields remains the quarterback of this team. But at the same time, Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze remain the coaches.
And that is a bad recipe. That is a recipe that heads the Chicago Bears towards mediocrity as far as I'm concerned. I need this coaching staff out of there. Now, if the coaching staff is fired, even if Justin Fields plays pretty well, not goes on that heater and makes everything better, but plays pretty well where you still say, hey, this guy is developing. He still could turn into something. This is, again, look at this. This is Justin Fields. Fair or not, this is Justin Fields' career in Chicago. Year one, the coach gets fired. Year two, they have the worst record in the NFL. Year three, the coach gets fired. So now Justin Fields is the quarterback, and let's say Ben Johnson from the Lions gets hired, who I think would be a tremendous hire as the next head coach. Ben Johnson comes in, and he sits down with whether it's Ryan Poles and a new GM and Kevin Warren and George McCaskey, and they're like, all right, what are we going to do at quarterback? So Ben Johnson has an option because the Bears are going to have probably two top five or six picks, if not maybe like the top two picks in the draft. Things are trending that way right now. They're going to have two very high picks in the draft. So Ben Johnson is going to have an opportunity. He can go out and get his own quarterback that he has scouted and he believes in, or he can hitch his wagon to Justin Fields, who, like I said, fair or unfair, and it's largely unfair, but it's the reality of the situation, who had the worst record in the league and two coaches fired in his three seasons and has to get paid one year after Ben Johnson is hired. That's the quarterback that Ben Johnson would have to say. That's who I want to hitch my future to with this franchise. That's not going to happen. So if there's a new coach that comes in in 2024, that new coach will not pick Justin Fields to be the team's quarterback. So Justin Fields, regardless of what happens here, I don't see a path for Justin Fields to stay here and to have the kind of turnaround that this organization needs with a new coaching staff. There's just too much against him at this point, and I think it's time that Bears fans kind of all get together take a big sigh together and go, this sucks that it didn't work out for him here. We all wanted it to, but just because some of us are sitting here saying it didn't work out, it doesn't mean we are against Justin Fields. We're just accepting what certainly looks like the reality of the situation. A couple things before we bring in Jason Fitz. I've got to talk Tyson Bajan, right? To me, I'm not excited about Tyson Bajan. And I know some Bears fans are, and if you want to hope for Tyson Bajan, then you hope all you want for Tyson Bajan. Don't, don't sit here and have my sourpuss get you upset. But Tyson Bajan, for what I saw, is a limited quarterback and is limited to the point that he will not have success as a starter at the NFL level. He could be a quality backup. And if you get a quality backup as an undrafted free agent quarterback, that's great value for Ryan Poles. He did a hell of a job getting Bajan to Chicago. So that is not a knock on Tyson Bajan. He plays on time. He plays in rhythm. He spreads the ball around. I mean, look, this isn't a knock on Justin Fields, but who did Tyson Bajan complete passes to? He got Tyler Scott involved. He got Robert Tanyan involved. He got Bayless Jones involved. He worked DJ Moore still caught a pass. You know, he worked the ball around to as many different people as he could. You know, you, you, you always hear about that. Oh, Tom Brady's completed 13 passes to 12 different receivers. Like, they, they love all that, that nonsense, right? Tyson Bajan worked the ball around. He was efficient. He worked through his progressions quickly. So that those are all positives. But you also saw the reason why Tyson Bajan, even as a small school guy, didn't get a fifth or a sixth round pick on him was because that arm is a noodle. And while he can deliver a, a, a pretty tight window on short passes, 
intermediate, it starts becoming a stretch, and the deep balls, I mean, they're, they're ducks. He does not have the arm strength that you need. And once NFL teams, if he plays for a, a lot of weeks, once NFL defenses understand that there is no threat for him to complete a deep pass, then they can inch forward and they can crowd the line of scrimmage and it's going to make things a lot more difficult for him. So that's going to be an issue for Bajan. And again, maybe he can get his arm stronger through NFL training, but it's not suddenly going to become Michael Vick's arm. It's not suddenly become Justin Fields' arm. He doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't have the velocity. It's just what it is. So Bajan to me is limited, and if he quarterbacks his team for one game, four games, five games, he's trying out for QB2. I don't think he's trying out for QB1 in Chicago or anywhere, but that's fine. Like, I see what I, I see from Tyson Bajan. That's what I expect. And if he if he can overcome that, great. I, I'm all for Tyson Bajan becoming the next Tony Romo, but I certainly don't think that's where this is headed. So I don't really care to see Tyson Bajan play. I'd much rather see Justin Fields out there as soon as he's healthy and able to do so. But bottom line for me beyond that is what am I going to be watching the rest of the year? To me, I'm really going to be watching Ryan Poles' guys, the guys that he invested in. Like Andrew Billings was a nice free agent signing. Yannick Ngakwe is a one-year signing. Those weren't guys that Ryan Poles committed to. Those weren't guys that Ryan Poles looked at and said, these are the players I want around that I'm going to build around. Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards, those were guys he committed to. He drafted Gordon. He drafted Brisker. He committed to Walker on a three-year deal. Nate Davis, when he gets healthy, you know, these are the guys that he, that, forget the one-year deals. Those are guys that you're filling in gaps. The, those are the, these are the guys he committed to that he wanted to say, these are my building blocks. And that's what's going to determine, right, you know, Cole Komet. He paid Cole Komet. That's another one. Like, those are the guys that Ryan Poles is going to be judged on as to whether or not he should keep his job. Because to me, that's the question here. To me, there's going to be a change of quarterback. There's going to be a change with the coaching staff. What's happening at GM? So for me, for the, the rest of this season, that's what I'm paying attention to is Ryan Poles' guys. And are they performing at a level that shows that he utilized his assets in the right way to make this team the strongest team moving forward? So that's where we're at, Bears fans. I'm at, I'm at a point where I'm looking at the 2024 season. Jason Fitz is coming up next. I'm going to be looking at the 2024 season with Jason Fitz. We'll talk a little Bears. We'll talk a little Raiders. But we're going to be talking about this Bears organization moving forward and if they're in a good place to finally turn this around. So Jason Fitz from Yahoo Sports, he joins me next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Always enjoy having this guy on. He's been on a few times, and it's usually right before... We play the Vegas slash uh, Oakland Raiders since uh, he's been on this podcast several times. He is Jason Fitz. He's of Yahoo Sports and Fox Sports Radio, formerly of ESPN. I'm sure you've heard him. Always have good conversations on here about the NFL and the Bears and Raiders in general. Jason, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Although, like, could we want just one time? In our friendship, could we have this conversation about a Bears Raiders game where we're both really excited about the season? Like, it just feels like every time we talk, it's like, well, your team sucks, my team sucks. Which one's going to suck more on Sunday? Like, that's just our world. Yeah, it, it really is brutal. And, and you know, I, I don't know exactly what the numbers are for the Raiders in terms of like sustained success. Like, when, you know, I know that there were a couple good seasons with Carr, but in terms of trying to have, you know, back-to-back good seasons. The Bears literally haven't had back-to-back winning seasons since they went to the Super Bowl and the it, like like that long ago with Devin Hester. That was the last time they did back-to-back winning seasons. Just mediocrity after mediocrity. So I want I want to talk to you about the Raiders and and, and kind of everything going on in that organization. But first. You know, I always I've never want to bury the lead here. When we talk Chicago Bears, we have to talk Justin Fields because going into the season, he really was all that mattered. Everything else was kind of building up the foundation. I mean, some over enthusiastic Bears fans thought playoffs were here, but I, I didn't think this was a playoff team. I thought this was a team that went was going to go from awful to being like competitively bad, like win seven games kind of a in that range. That was kind of the hope. But Fields would progress and become the guy. And now, of course, you know, Fields has had some bumpy games, a couple good games. Now he's got an injury. And with things going the direction they're going, it just doesn't look good for Justin right now. So my question to you is, as someone who does national media and covers the NFL nationally, all 32 teams, what were your expectations for Justin Fields and the Bears going into the season? And where are you at now with with both of them? I think my expectation was... Uh, control. I, I think that's the right word to use here. Like somebody that feels like he's in control of the offense at this point in control of what everything looks like that, that takes that step of, okay, I'm not asking for anybody to be Mahomes. I, we got to be clear on here. If, if we're going to continually have the quarterback conversation compared to Mahomes, you might be basically saying, well, is my guy as good as what could end up being the best of all time, right? Like, so I'm not asking for that. I'm not asking for freakish play either. But I think when you look at the amount of money the bears had to spend coming into this off season, and you looked at what the plan was, going to be the the real trajectory here was about Justin Fields being in control and Justin Fields feeling like he can be the difference maker that consistently wins you football games in the modern NFL your quarterback has to be able to make four or five plays that are going to win you the game off schedule I just I, I believe that we haven't seen that from Justin Fields so you know there is going to be some conversation about whether or not that's the organization and coaching versus the player I still think Justin Fields has some value in this league but let's be real if you no matter what team we'd be talking about right now if you have a young quarterback that really hasn't proven it and you may end up with the first pick in the draft, you are going to take a quarterback that resets the market, the, the, the contract situation for you and is ultimately probably a better prospect. So like I do right now, if Justin Fields played lights out for the rest of the year, I still don't think if the bears ended up with the first pick in the draft, I don't think there's any way he would be the quarterback next year. Yeah. And, and here's kind of where I'm at with that is, there, there's two ways. Let, let's just say Justin Fields misses the Raiders game, comes back, and like you said, plays lights out the rest of the year. You've got two 
courses that, that could go here. He plays so well, they start stacking wins. They get six, seven wins on the season, have a great second half. What does he do, right? He he may save his job. Okay, fine. But he also saves Matt Eberflus's job in the process. At least that's the way I look at it. I know some fans think that Matt Eberflus, you know, is going to be gone no matter what because of how bad the defense has been and stuff. Okay, that's fine. Maybe that's the case. But if Matt Eberflus goes into Kevin Warren and George McCaskey's office at the end of the season and says, you know, we won six out of our last eight games and Justin Fields is playing well, he's going to make a strong case that everything's going in the right direction for 2024 to keep his job. So if you keep Justin Fields, you keep Matt Eberflus. On the other side of that coin, if Matt Eberflus is fired because the Bears didn't win enough games, and that's something they've never done is fire a coach with three years left on his, his contract. So he's really going to have to screw up. If they win four or five games, he's not going to, it's not going to be possible to keep him. So if that's the case and Justin Fields, let's say he does, he has some flashes. He still plays pretty well. This is what you're, you're looking at. Now you're looking at Justin Fields, whether it's his fault or not is, is irrelevant. Three seasons in the league, two head coaches fired and the season, the coach wasn't fired. They had the worst record in the NFL. Whether you want to blame the quarterback or not, that's the reality. So now another coach is going to come in and determine, should we use one of these top five picks? Because clearly that's where this is headed on a quarterback. Or do I hitch my wagon to Justin Fields, who I'm going to have to pay in a year and a guy that has gotten two coaches fired? Again, unfair. If you want to say it's unfair, I'm not going to disagree. But that's the reality of the situation. To me, if there is a coaching change in Chicago, the percent goes almost all the way down to 0% that he has any chance to remain in Chicago. Now, I agree with everything you just said. Now, the one thing I'll say about Eberflus that I think fans might not be acknowledging to your point, if they play well enough that they won six or seven games, continuity is a sales pitch for a young quarterback. I, I think you step into the owner's office and you say, look at how well we played after the injury. Look at how well things normalized. Look at all the chaos we survived early in the season versus the way we got that all righted at the end of the year. Continuity is a sales pitch. And I've even talked to former coaches in the league that will tell you that sometimes you will run it back with somebody just because, hey, we can get better if we stick together, right? So I think that that's part one of it. But when you start talking about the scouting department, you can't tell me right now every scout that's looking at quarterbacks for the Bears isn't asking a very simple question this or that it's Justin Fields or Caleb Williams and that that answer is simple I, I don't care what happened against Notre Dame that answer is simple Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams will be Caleb Williams all day every day Justin Fields versus Drake May Justin Fields uh, versus Michael Penix Jr. you know you go up and down the list like quarter scouts I should say when they scout the quarterback position I've talked to a couple of different scouts in the league that told me this consistently they scout two to three years worth of quarterback classes so last year when teams decided they weren't willing to trade up for example to the number one overall pick of the number two overall pick they weren't willing to give up as much sometimes for that quarterback it's because they looked at last year and this year and they thought well you know, I mean, the argument has been made to me that Will Levis, who was drafted in the second round by the Titans, was comped against next year's quarterback class. And teams felt like in next year's quarterback class, Will Levis would have been the sixth or seventh highest rated quarterback. Why would you trade up to take Will Levis when you can just wait and see what you get next year? This is the year that scouts have been looking at as the wait and see year. And it's not just Caleb Williams. So it becomes harder and harder for a quarterback that's on the verge of having to get some sort of compensation to keep their job. So if the nice thing about this is there's clarity in it. You win enough games that you keep this job, then everybody should just relax, take a, a, a sigh, a, a breath of fresh air here and say, hey, We've got our quarterback moving forward. If he doesn't, then you can be excited about who you think is going to come in and, and replace this. But replacement 
man, like, look at this year. I mean, Anthony Richardson's going to miss the entire season now. We don't know if Anthony Richardson's going to be very good or not. Bryce Young, people are already asking, is Bryce Young going to be good enough? Like, these were supposed to be franchise saviors, and maybe they turn out to be that. But this concept that, you know what, fire the coach, get rid of the quarterback. Okay, the same dude that hired Eberflus, the same organization, I should say, that hired Eberflus is going to hire likely a new GM and a new owner. So you better hope you get it right this time, and you're going to go back to the draft, and you're going to hope that you don't have Baker Mayfield, right? right? Like, I mean, right. it's just all a crapshoot, and everybody wants to pretend that on the other side of that fence is beauty and delight, and sometimes on the other side of the fence is a lawn that's just as bad as yours. Yeah, and that's it. The, the Bears have a unique opportunity because they've always done everything wrong. Like, it, you know, you don't you don't need to go back too like too far. But if you go back to 2012, they made a GM change. They got rid of Jerry Angelo and brought in Phil Emery and said, you have to keep Lovey Smith. And he said, OK. And then a year later, he fired Lovey Smith. And then so things aren't lining up. He brings in Mark Tressman. Those two guys get blown out. Then they bring in John Fox and and uh, Ryan Pace, but that was an arranged marriage. Ryan Pace didn't get to pick his GM Ernie. Of course he picked the, the head coach, you know, as a, as a consultant. So then a year later uh, he says, all right, you know, Ryan Pace says, I'm going to drive Mitch Trubisky. doesn't even tell John Fox. So now you have a quarterback and a head coach, not on the same page with the GM. Then, you know, they, they get rid of John Fox. They bring in Matt Nagy, but Matt Nagy didn't get to pick the quarterback. You know, so everything. And now you bring in the same thing with Matt Eberflus. Now you're saddling him with the quarterback. Like they never line everything up. So, if they give Ryan Poles another opportunity that, you know, I, I could live with it because the one thing Ryan Poles has done, the process is sound. He cleared a lot of bad contracts. He created a lot of cap space. He picked up a lot of draft capital. He traded for DJ Moore. Like it's a sound process, but the free agent evaluation and some of the draft evaluation is, is can be questioned. And I think that's up to Kevin Warren here in the front office to determine, do you want this guy continuing to make these evaluations moving forward? But regardless of that, whether polls is there or not, you finally have a chance to line up hopefully an offensive minded head coach who helps get to pick his own quarterback, bring everything in together, line everything up and do this the right way. Something they haven't done in literally 15 years of the modern NFL. So there's an opportunity for a franchise. And, and I know you can appreciate this as a, a Raiders fan, a franchise that continually does things the wrong way to finally do it the right way. Yeah. And to that end, I think the right way is really clear in my mind, the right way to do this is to, empower your bring in a GM or keep your GM. I don't care which way you want to do it in that situation, but you, you empower your GM to make a coaching decision. And when you know, when you're making that coaching decision, you already know where you sit in the draft. So from the day you're doing the interview, the question is we're thinking of going this way. We're thinking of this. What vision can we be? So then you get your coach, your, your GM and your quarterback all on the same page from day one. It's super simple to do that. I, I have referred to on some of my Yahoo sports shows uh, and, and I hope you find humor in this. I'm not, you know, jabbing at you, but I can, I, this year I keep referring to the bears as a grocery store team because last, last year they had a ton of money in the off season. So like you go to the grocery store and you go shopping and then you get home, you stock the whole like fridge, you walk out and then like you're sitting there with your significant other and you're like, what's for dinner? And you open the fridge. And you're like, we don't have anything. We just went to the damn grocery store. How do we not have anything? That's what I feel like the bears have been stuck in this year. So I, I think there is some level because they had $90 million. We all talked about it nationally. It was like the bears are have, they have so much money to spend and they have Justin Fields. This is a reason for hope. Okay. That didn't work. And at some point you got to stop throwing bad money at good. And you got to figure out what does work because realistically it does like whatever happened this year doesn't matter. There is one 
in this year's draft, supposedly can't miss prospect. Now, I will remind everybody, Trevor Lawrence hasn't won a Super Bowl. Andrew Luck didn't win a Super Bowl. The last two times that we've talked about quarterbacks as can't miss, feels like those were the two that really stood out. Joe Burrow is somebody I loved coming out of LSU. But there were people that thought, well, it's a one-year wonder, right? Like right. when we say can't miss, it's rare that it turns into actually can't. Even Peyton Manning, when he was drafted for the first few years, they were like, I don't know, can't win the big game. Like having the first overall pick in the draft does not mean that you suddenly get it right. That being said, Caleb Williams is electrifying. Caleb Williams is a reason for hope. Caleb Williams plays the position in a way that looks fun. Now, is he going to have in the NFL 10 seconds to run around to then throw it to, to some guy against a bad Pac-12 defense? No, you know, but it's so can't miss that this year right now, like everything's, if you're bears, this is like the one thing I would say is everything's good in front of you because you are either going to get the answer that you do have the right people in the room or you're going to get the answer that this whole damn thing's being blown up. And either way, you got to find hope out of that. Like the worst situation to be in the NFL is eight and nine every year. The, the, the bears are don't, I don't think they're going to be there this year. I think the Bears' season is going to fall apart. I think Justin Fields is going to be traded to somebody else for a conditional draft pick. And they're going to restart this whole thing. But of all the years to do it, there are quarterbacks in this year that are just like Michael Penix jr. I'll mention it again. He's worth being excited about. So I, I think there are quarterbacks out there that make the reset feel different this time. Yeah, and this is one thing that I think is is kind of interesting is when you look at the situation to put a quarterback in, and, and as as Bears fans, we just talk about how, how we've ruined quarterbacks, and, and maybe we have. Maybe the franchise is the reason why these quarterbacks didn't succeed. But if we look at the last two, you know, you don't need to go back to Cutler and his merry-go-round of offensive coordinators. But if you just look at the last two in terms of developing a rookie quarterback, you know, Mitch Trubisky, the plan was for him not to play in 2017. Josh Lucas has done a bunch of interviews, the former director of player personnel for the Bears, and he, like he's been very forthright. He said there was absolutely no plan to play Mitch Trubisky in 2017. But Mike Glennon was so bad, they had to throw him out there. They had an offensive line that was still a work in progress. They literally had no receivers to throw to. Like Marcus Wheaton was like their top receiver. They had nothing there, and, and that's a rough spot to put a rookie. Now, things got a lot better in 2018 where they could spend and bring in Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel and all, all these different things. So that certainly put Mitch Trubisky behind the eight ball. Then you look at, at Justin Fields, the, the Bears, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were literally trying to cling to their jobs and brought in a rookie quarterback to try and win games immediately with a guy that needed to develop. Like it, it, it was a, a failed recipe from the start. It, it, if they couldn't bring in Russell Wilson or Derek Carr, or all these veterans that they were trying to get before, once that failed and Andy Dalton was their guy, Justin Fields wasn't going to help them win games in 2021. So then out they go. And now you've got Justin Fields learning a new offense and all this. So everything's been a mess when they try and develop a rookie quarterback. But this year, like this Bears offensive line, it's okay. Darnell Wright's go the right way. Nate Davis is pretty good. Tevin Jenkins, when he plays, pretty good. Braxton Jones, if he gets healthy, pretty good. Like you can drop a rookie quarterback behind this offensive line, you know, if they get a better center and go, all right, he 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 should get enough protection. He'd have DJ Moore. If you have two top five picks, he could have Marvin Harrison next to DJ Moore. You could have some dynamic weapons. Colt Komet's a good safety valve. You'd actually, for the one time, the Chicago Bears would be in, in a position to, like I said, not only just line everything up the right way, but actually have an established offense that may not be amazing, but it certainly has the foundation to put a rookie quarterback in to be successful and not have him get pounded like Bryce Young is in Carolina or Trubisky in 2017, Fields in 2021, and plenty of others like it. So a couple of 
big thoughts on what you just said. Number one, I, I, I'm going to give Bears fans all a message of hope when it comes to one particular quarterback. Because I mentioned, you know, Mahomes earlier, and I, you know, I worked with Sarah Spain on radio all the time. And at the time, Sarah was talked about we could have had Mahomes, could have had Mahomes. I hear that all the time. What we forget is that Patrick Mahomes has openly admitted countless times in interviews that the biggest part of his transition to becoming a pro was having Alex Smith show him how to play the position, how to break down his week, what days to do what, what to eat, how to break down film, like the most effective ways to be a professional. While at the same time, Andy Reid was sitting with him and working with him constantly, molding him into something where he didn't have to play year one. We all, every single fan base says, how did we not draft Mahomes? And my constant reminder to the world is that Drafting Mahomes in any other situation may not have made Mahomes. Sometimes you, no matter how talented a guy is, you got to have the right things in the right places at the right times. It takes a great coach and a great system and a great understanding from a great organization. Like all of these things have to come together to create it. So like your point on Trubisky is a really important one, but the other point that you're making here about the weapons that the bears have, I think is something bears fans need to remember next season. Let's say Chicago comes out and they win four games just enough that they are not going to be that, you know, the Broncos make my life hell. They turn around, they get Caleb Williams. Now I have to take on Mahomes, Herbert and Williams for the next 15 years as a, <laughs> as a Raiders fan. So, let, but this is the one thing I keep reminding fans is like, look at the most successful team right now in the NFL today in this, in this season. And over the last couple of seasons, I would argue there is not a better front office coach and roster construction than the San Francisco 49ers, no matter Agreed. what it's meant for the, for the Super Bowl. What did they do at every turn? Yes. They traded up aggressively for Trey Lance. They were able to do that and still be wrong because at every turn they drafted the best player available on the board. The number of years when I was covering the draft for ESPN that we would sit there and say, well, the 49ers have to take a quarterback. No, they didn't. They took the guy that was absolutely unequivocally the best player on the board. And where we all get screwed up as a society is we look at it and say, got to have a quarterback, got to have a quarterback, got to have a quarterback. The 49ers now, now we're sitting here saying, well, their quarterback really isn't all that good. It's just a system quarterback. Look at all the guys around him. Part of the reason that's happening, and which I don't necessarily always agree with, is because they built a great roster, 1-53. to 53. Like, their skill position players would start on any Super Bowl team. Their offensive line would start on any Super Bowl team. Their stars on defense would start on sure. any Super Bowl team. Like, sometimes the method that we have to remember going into the draft, like, if, if suddenly you're looking at it as a Bears organization, and you're saying, well, you know what? We're kind of certain that Drake May's the answer, but we're not 100% certain. We don't really need this superstar, you know, Jared Verse, the defensive lineman out of Florida State. We don't need him. We need a quarterback. That's the wrong thing. Like when you are picking at the top of the draft because your team sucks, pick the best player of clearly. Look at your board and say, who's the guy? Because we become so quarterback obsessed that part of the way you you break the cycle of being wrong at the quarterback position is you make the rest of the roster so good that Brock Purdy can come in and win you football games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've they've got a sound process, and if they do uh, jettison, if the Bears do jettison Ryan Poles, they have Peters would be a guy, their assistant GM that I would love to bring to Chicago and and, and kind of bring that same mentality. But but let me ask you this: since the the Bears are in a unique spot and they're going to have two first round picks and two first round picks thanks to the Carolina Panthers that could be in the top five. You know, they, they certainly look like both teams are trending in that direction. So before I ask you about quarterbacks, I, I do want to ask you, and I brought his name up a couple minutes ago, Marvin Harrison, because that's the guy to me that if the bears can get a quarterback, whoever may Williams, whoever it is it, with one of those picks and Marvin Harrison is the other selection 
with pairing that with DJ Moore, to me, could be one of the most electric tandems at wide receiver that the NFL. And I'm not saying the NFL doesn't have its, its share of electric tandems, but that to me, Harrison is one of the best wide receiver prospects I've seen since I've really started following the league. I mean, you got to go like Calvin Johnson level prospect to me. Yeah, most years Harrison would be, he is so good that even as a wide receiver, he would be the first overall pick. That's how good he is. And I think the, the biggest comp here, right, is Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Like Joe Burrow comes in, gets hurt, they suck, they get Jamar Chase, they eventually get T. Higgins. And what do you know? Like that Bengals offensive line has, has been a prop. They've spent a ton of money, but they've not been able to get the offensive line to be great. They've been pretty good on defense and they've had Jamar Chase Joe Burrow and T Higgins. And it has resulted in this right year in and year out. The Bengals are now a Super Bowl contender. I think what you do suddenly, if you put yourself in a situation where you have young player, young quarterback and young wide receiver growing together. Absolutely. That makes all the sense in the world. And you know, the, the other, the other top prospects, you got the offensive line kid out of Penn state. You've yeah, got like, said, yeah. yeah. And you've got uh, Jared versus is, is going to end up being one of the big prospects out of Florida state already is pass rusher. Uh, you've got some of those out there Brock when you Powers. want to yeah, uh, Brock Bowers, a uh, great example also, but when you want to talk about immediately changes the whole way you defend a team, I mean, that's Marvin Harrison. So, like, if you run up with the first two picks in the draft and you take your quarterback in the future with Marvin Harrison Jr., you are now putting yourself in a situation where your offense becomes electric, combining that with DJ. Like, that, DJ's the other part of this that you could end up looking really, like, for all of the problems that the Bears have right now, think about this. They landed a wide receiver that is fully capable to be a wide receiver one. They did not take a quarterback in a draft where I don't, honor, I, I was covering it for ESPN, said it at the time. I didn't think there was a single quarterback that didn't have a question mark. The closest we had was CJ Stroud. And I'm not just saying that because it turned out to be right. But like the, the closest we had was CJ Stroud. As a Raiders fan, the only quarterback I would have wanted the Raiders to draft would have been CJ Stroud. That was the only one. And even that didn't feel all that great to me, right? Like, so you you get out of the draft when you weren't sure that the right guy was there. You bought yourself an extra year. Now you could be sitting there with the first and second overall picks. Like that's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you about quarterbacks, uh, you know, and, and I agree. I think multiple quarterbacks from this draft are better than any of the prospects from the previous year. But but, you know, Williams and May, let, let's talk about them first, because a lot of people, you know, I, I think for whatever reason, Caleb Williams with, with kind of his the personality and kind of some of the stuff he says, it rubs a few people the wrong way. So I do think there is something where people kind of cheer against him a little bit from time to time. So and when Bears fans were hearing so much Caleb Williams with when they are in firmly in Justin Fields corner, that game against Notre Dame, a lot of people jumped on Caleb's so, see, fine. Finally plays a good defense and stinks. So now Patrick Mahomes, I think, had a three interception or a four interception game his last year at Texas Tech. Now he wasn't the same level of prospect, but for you, when you look at quarterbacks, I know, like you said, you, that you really look at the big picture, but how much when you say that a Pac-12, you know, they have terrible defenses and 450 yards of passing isn't that impressive when you get walloped by Notre Dame like that, how much of a concern would that be for you for a prospect? I, I don't think it's that. Look, here's what Caleb Williams did wrong in that game. He tried to do too much, right? And that that's going to happen sometimes in these situations. Uh, I mean, when you think about who Lincoln Riley is as a play caller, he he makes his quarterbacks better. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but also, he's giving them a ton of pro looks, pro concepts out of the gates. So he's he's running a very pro-style offense. 
he does a lot. He improvs a lot. But one thing I heard Ryan Clark say on ESPN this week is that you have to have a quarterback that four times a game can break a 15-yard run out of nowhere to keep a drive alive. That's just what happens. And Mahomes has done that at an alarming rate. Uh, Justin Herbert you know, is another example of somebody that does that. Uh, you've got to have that quarterback that now in today's world can make a play where there is nothing to make. Caleb Williams does that absolutely better than anybody, right? So, you know, uh, when you start talking about level of competition, you could make that argument all the way across the board. I mean, is Drake May really facing these great stoic, oh my God, defenses in the ACC? Like he's facing a few of them, but it's not it's not all that. If you go down the list and you look at Bo Nix, like I, I would challenge anybody that's in love with Bo Nix because I think there's been some beautiful stuff from Bo Nix all the way back at Auburn to now. Go look at his home and his away splits. Because away quarterback Bo Nix, alarmingly bad statistically. Hmm. Home quarterback Bo Nix, alarmingly good. Why? So, like, uh, my point there is that there are questions to be asked at every single turn for all of these quarterbacks. I think Caleb Williams has the least number of those questions. And his ability, like, you just need a good offensive coach, a good quarterback coach that from day one is going to come in and say, hey, what do we need you to do? Think about it. Like there were people that said CJ Stroud's problem was that he wasn't athletic enough and that the windows were too big and his wide receivers were, were too good. And it wasn't going to translate. Well, it turns out it's absolutely translated for CJ Stroud. Right. I think for Caleb, we've normalized greatness to the point that coming in and having a second Heisman level season, we're trying to find fault with, I, I, I think Caleb Williams has shown us on tape, everything we could ever want. There's always a question mark. I have the fewest with, with Caleb. All right. Now, a lot of Bears fans have PTSD. And what I mean by that is post-Trubisky stress disorder. So when you come up with the idea of drafting a North Carolina quarterback, they're instantly going to shudder. And I see this like when, when I've talked about this on, on, on Twitter slash X, I, I see it right. Oh, I can't deal with another North Carolina quarterback like they're, they're scarred. So I ask you when you're talking to Bears fans. What do you say about Drake May to say he is not Mitch Trubisky? Uh, well, they're, A, they're completely different styles of quarterbacks. I think that's important to point out. But here's here's a better comp. And, and I think Drake May is a more polished passing version of Sam Howell. Right, like Sam Howell is the better comp because of the, the recency in the which they came out in North Carolina and the offensive line. My biggest concern is I'll go back to Sam for a second. I talked to one of the people that knows the coach as well at North Carolina. And they said that the coaching concept that they're teaching offensively, there is just simple. It's fine green grass. So they're not necessarily coming in with these. Okay. You're going to throw this, this, ball to this receiver in this spot it's a very we're all going to find little pockets and we're going to find ways to get open that's a great way to run a college offense and it's a terrible way to run a pro offense so i think there are concerns there but drake may is a very athletic uh, quarterback that's also by the way a very good passer and that's the difference like trubisky was one of those guys that you saw enough to see good from and everybody falls in love with that there's so much more proof of concept on, on Drake May and who he is. There's more tape on who he is. Uh, there, there's more examples of him making pinpoint throws at the right time than we ever saw for Trubisky. Like Trubisky from minute one was a little bit like Anthony Richardson, where it's like, hey, I've seen these great plays and you can't coach that. Okay, but what about the stuff you need to be able to coach? And Drake May has shown that he's absolutely capable of that. So I, I think it's a bit unfair to the player to lump him in just because of his school. Oh, absolutely it is. But I'm just saying, if you know, That's it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, you're happen. right. All right. Well, let me ask you then for you, who would be like, let, let's, let's talk about this from a bear's perspective where they are not picking first or second, that their picks are in the three, four, five range. So if they're looking at, at potentially the third quarterback in this draft, which no one's projecting to be that high currently, but you know, what's going to happen by the time we get to the end of the rec of the college football season and we get to the combine, someone's rocketing up. Anthony Richardson at this point was a second round pick. 
you know, last year and rocketed all the way up to a top five selection. So for you right now, when you when you talk about the third quarterback here, because I think there's a lot to debate here. I mean, people have brought up McCarthy. People have brought up Shadur Sanders. People, you, you, Michael Penix Jr., guy you brought up earlier. So where, where are you with kind of the rest of this quarterback class? Who are the names that are popping for you? I think J.J. is wildly underrated because he's a Michigan quarterback and people think Michigan quarterbacks can only run the football. Uh, I, I, I think what, for me, the third best quarterback in the draft so far, and we've got a lot of season left to go, is somewhere between Penix Jr. and J.J. McCarthy. And uh, Penix Jr., you know, you uh, it's difficult to look back at his time in Indiana and figure out what to do with it because in Indiana against Big Ten defenses, uh, he got knocked around a lot, got hit a lot, held the ball too long. He's figured a lot of that out uh, in Washington. The question is, is that just because different type of opponent like uh, how much is he how much is what he's doing because he's evolved like those are questions we don't necessarily know the answer to yet but uh, Penix Jr. is one of those guys that feels like he needs a little development but could develop into a very competent quarterback Uh, in my opinion like if I was sitting here and the Raiders were picking third I'd want Michael Penix Jr. or J.J. McCarthy I think Bo Nix is like I said his away problems are an issue for me Riley Leonard is the guy that I think is a better comp to Mitchell Trubisky like the kid out of Duke like We've seen a little bit of good out of him, but let's be real. There's such a brand bias. When I say Duke football, people are like, oh, oh, I mean, Duke football sucks. So you see somebody playing pretty well for Duke and you're like, oh, he must be the second coming. Like Riley Leonard does some things. Okay. But I just don't think there's any, if if Riley Leonard was a second round draft pick, I would buy into that. I am not buying into Riley as a a first round draft pick for me. So I think JJ McCarthy's offensive control has been great. My biggest problem is I keep railing on this on my college football coverage. Michigan has played nobody like cupcakes in Nebraska. That's it. Right. So man, I, I think that's where Ohio state, that game this year holds so much equity. Cause we really need to see how JJ McCarthy plays. The one reminder I'll give everybody too about Penix jr. And JJ McCarthy, both. And this is a trend start looking for success of college football quarterbacks that have played a lot of college football. Like Sam Hartman's been up and down a little bit for Notre Dame. But part of the reason that there were high expectations is because my guy's been playing college football for what feels like 27 years. (laughs) You start thinking about the guys that are coming into the league that are having fast success. A lot of them have played a lot of football. Like I just, I think the transfer portal is going to create this version of veteran quarterbacks that we're going to have to figure out like, Hey, what, what are those smarts equal? And that's the opportunity for JJ McCarthy. He's played enough at this point that like, what is a smart veteran college football quarterback do against a well-coached team like Ohio state? If, if Michigan goes on a run, JJ McCarthy is going to absolutely, I think skyrocket up draft boards. All right. Now, before I let you go, I have to ask you a little bit about the Raiders. We ended up spending a lot of time there on quarterbacks and, 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 and way to put together a franchise, but, but the Raiders, let, let me start here because this is a team that, that moved on from Derek, car and, and and you know went a different direction at quarterback was that the plan I mean was was Jimmy Garoppolo was, was that the plan at quarterback or was that the the Bears ending up with Andy Dalton kind of it just it didn't work out for them at quarterback what, what was really the plan there for the Raiders yeah it was it was the intentional backup plan and everything I've heard from people around the team and around the league is that the Raiders were all in on CJ Stroud. They tried to make a trade offer to move up with the bears. They wanted to pick first overall. They wanted to get CJ Stroud that that didn't materialize. As you know, the Panthers gave a better offer. And so, you know, that put them in plan B and plan B for them was always going to be. There isn't a quarterback we believe in. So who can we get in that can be a stopgap? And that's Jimmy G. So they brought in somebody that they didn't see a marked difference between Jimmy G and Derek Carr. And I think 
frankly, the relationship between the Raiders and Carr had just deteriorated to the spot where fans weren't going to buy it anymore. The team wasn't going to buy it anymore. The player wasn't buying it anymore. It was just time to move on. So, you know, I, Jimmy G was really just the backup plan that came to fruition. And that's, you know, at, at this point, that's all it is. And this weekend, the Bears are more likely to see at this point, I believe they're more likely to see Aiden O'Connell than they are. You know, this is the confusing thing because Brian Hoyer is the backup for the Raiders. But earlier this season, when Jimmy G wasn't available, Aiden O'Connell got the start against the Chargers. In the first half, O'Connell held the ball way too long. Khalil Mack goes off. It was absolutely an epic game for Mack. Second half, AOC gets much better in that situation, has better pocket awareness. So we'll see. I, I think it, they believe every week they make Brian Hoyer the number two because they believe in the middle of a game, if you got to throw a guy in, Hoyer's going to do better. And he did last week. Uh, but they've also shown the belief that, hey, if we have all week to game plan for it, Aiden O'Connell is going to be the guy. And if that's the case, you were putting in a rookie quarterback that that is staggeringly low on experience, that holds the ball too long, waits for plays to develop. Well, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like against Chicago. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this. As a Raider fan, wh where were your expectations with this team? Because I'm just going to say something. It feels like the Raiders are winning too much. I, I had low expectations for this team. You know, Tyson Bajan most likely getting his first start as an undrafted free agent rookie here this this week. I assume the Raiders are about to move to four and three on the season. Although I think it's possible, you know, if, if Bajan gets lucky with a couple things that maybe the bears hang is being it's at home. Maybe the bears can hang on and, and win this one. But again, I would expect the Raiders to win this game. So you're looking at a four and three Raiders team is, is, you know, but I, I've seen a lot of complaints about Josh McDaniels, but this team is, is winning games here. So, so where is, where are the expectations with this, with this Las Vegas Raiders team? Fans want the team to go into full suck mode and get a different quarterback. I don't think Josh McDaniels can survive that. Like I think a three win season would have been a death knell for him at this point. So, uh, and and then the other part of it is like, this is where it's hard for the Raiders. You mentioned a great situation for a rookie quarterback. I, I argued coming into this year that having Max Crosby play at the level he's playing at Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro, we thought Jacoby Myers and Josh Jacobs. It's a great situation for a rookie quarterback, right? Like you're, you're putting a rookie quarterback around a bunch of weapons. That's a beautiful thing. I think my expectations coming in was a seven win season and my expectations are still around a seven win season. The problem is the middle of the NFL is just all so mediocre that mediocre teams are beating up on mediocre teams. And then you play a good team. Like when the Raiders played the bills, they got run out of the building. The chiefs will absolutely destroy them twice because Kansas city's markedly better. So I think the Raiders are in like, the problem is in that middle third of the league, they're in the middle of the middle third. So they're going to win six, seven games, which means they're going to be picking somewhere next year between 10th and 15th. And that means picking, you're making the decision every single year. Are you going to pick the fifth best quarterback in this year's draft and try and move on? Or are you going to pick the best player on the board, no matter who that player is? So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if I'm sitting here a year from now, Jimmy G is still the starting quarterback of the Raiders and they went offensive line in this year's draft and just took the best guy or defensive line, took the best guy they could get on that, on that board. Yeah, because, you know, you, we, we've talked about some of these names. If the Raiders are in that 10 to 15 range, like, like you brought up, and let's say four or five quarterbacks go in the top 10, which is a distinct possibility. We saw it, you know, a few years ago with the Josh Allen, you know, uh, quarterback class, all, you know, Rosen and, and Mayfield and Darnold, like all these guys went, went early. So if that, if that happens with guys, you know, we, we talked about with Marvin Harrison and Fashanu and Alt and verse and Bowers, like you're going to have a lot of talent pushing down into that 11, 12, 13 range. Those are going to be, there's going to be, if, if a lot of quarterbacks go early, they're the, 
Raiders are going to be in a tough situation to pick quarterback or a, a talent that potentially is a top five, six talent most seasons, but is sitting there at 12 when the Raiders are on the clock. Yeah, that's going to be the great. But look this year, a couple of the guys that started to fall because of the run on quarterbacks, uh, Christian Gonzalez, right? Like uh, we saw corners that fell in the draft far lower than we thought they would. And they've been playing at a high level. You know, I've seen mock drafts that have Quinn Ewers out of Texas go to the Raiders in the middle of the first round. You got to ask yourself the question then, if you're taking on Patrick Mahomes for the next 15 years, is Quinn Ewers going to be the quarterback that grows into beating Patrick Mahomes? Or do you just need to continue to address the rest of it? It's the 49er method versus, you know, slow and low like barbecue, or are you going to try and microwave this thing? And I don't think Quinn, Quinn Ewers is, uh, you know, it's a microwave burrito. Like you, you wanted the burrito, you got the burrito. And after you ate the burrito, you're like, eh, was it really worth it? Like you just got to <laughs> sit back and you got to let this stuff simmer. So uh, let, let me ask you this to, to wrap up here on the conversation with Jason Fitz really been enjoying this. The Raiders as an organization, because you know, the bears fans again are sitting here with an organization that like we, I, I talked about earlier, just continues to do things the wrong way. The Raiders, is this an organization that, that you feel comfortable with, with Josh McDaniels and, and what they've done here? Cause this is again, an organization Yeah, John Gruden gave him a giant contract. Of course he gets in trouble with some of the, with the emails they, you trade away Khalil Mack, which is never anything you, you want to do is trading away a blue chip player like that. The, you know, yes, you got Josh Jacobs, but you also was it Damon Arnett like that. They, you know, the, 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 the fruits didn't, didn't quite work out. Like I think Raiders were hoping for with those draft picks. So, uh, you know, Mark Davis is unique as an owner, I guess. So, so where, where is, where are you and Raiders fans with this organization? Is, is it still, you know, is it better in Vegas? Is it still kind of bumbling around there? Is it, is it the right direction? Where, where are the Raiders? I mean, it's, it's better in Vegas because they're competitive, right? Like in Oakland, they weren't even competitive most years and and they haven't been competitive for most of the last 20. Like you mentioned consecutive winning seasons. I haven't seen that since 2002. So, you know, when you start thinking about that level of disaster, it's funny. People make a big deal. I'm about to write some stuff on this for Yahoo. People make a big deal about the lack of home field advantage in Vegas, but the home record in Vegas so far is actually better than the home winning percentage was in their second stint in Oakland. So like you, you look at that and you just realize how long this team has just been terrible. Mark Davis owns the Vegas aces who are on the verge of trying to win their second consecutive WNBA championship. His method with that was I'm going to sign a bunch of stars and I'm going to hire the biggest name coach for the most money possible. That worked like Becky Hammond and a bunch of stars from the Vegas aces results in championships. That doesn't necessarily work in the NFL. Like you, it's just, you can't do that. So at some point, and this would be my same message to every fan base. that sucks. My first interview ever I did in my life when I was just a podcast, nobody knew about I, my, my first big interview with Adam Schefter. And I remember sitting there and I asked Shefty, who's now a friend. And I said, Hey buddy, tell me this. What's the difference between a good team, a good organization, and a bad organization? Without hesitation, he said continuity. If you can find an organization willing to relax and, and respect continuity, that eventually wins. And I think about that because what do you do? And I don't know the answer to this. What do you do when maybe you don't have the right coach? Do you just keep firing the right co the, the coach every couple of years? But also, as I said earlier, Who's making that higher Raiders fans want Josh McDaniels fired and they want Dave Ziegler maybe fired. Well, okay. Mark Davis is still the same person that hired John Gruden and Mike Mayock and, you know, go all the way back and then hired Josh McDaniels and hired Dave Ziegler. So the same person's going to be hiring these people at some point, you got to just step back and say, Hey, can we grow something? How long does that take? I don't, 
I don't know the answer to this, but it's hard because you see other teams hire a coach and almost immediate, like Nick Sirianni has been great with the Colts so far. They're so far, so much better than expectations were for the Colts. Like I see why they have hope. I honestly believe that if you are a fan of a team that doesn't have the answer at quarterback, you believe that the sky is falling. And that's why Raiders fans want everybody fired. They want a quarterback. That's why Bears fans want everybody fired. They want a quarterback. But ultimately, if you want to become Kansas City, if you want to become San Francisco, if you want to become Buffalo, like what do all of those teams have in common that are continually successful? They have given continuity to their coaching staffs. They've given continuity to their front office, and they've let everybody cook. And so I don't know what the right approach is. I just know that blowing it all up again doesn't make me feel hopeful because I don't know why it would be any different this time than it's been the last 15 years of watching the organization blow it up. Well, there you go, Bears fans. If it's if it's not if it's not going to get better, and hopefully it will for Chicago, at least you can commiserate with someone else who's struggling. Let's go with a franchise that continually disappoints their fan base. Jason, thanks so much. Thanks for so much time. It was a lot longer than I expected, but that was that was a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'll say good luck to the Raiders starting next week. Although okay. maybe a loss is better for the Bears. Some fans may be cheering for that as well. Thanks so much, and you can follow Jason at Jason Fitz on twitter and of course catch them on yahoo and fox sports radio on saturday mornings thanks so much jay thank you my friend appreciate you when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right there he is jason fitz everybody that that was a really good conversation and look some of you may be frustrated rolling your eyes that i'm i'm starting to pivot to the 2024 season but i look i want to talk about things that are interest me right now and this 2023 bears team just isn't interesting right now there, there's just not much to talk about so let's let's talk about some other things let's talk about fitting you know how to fix this team because this team is broken it's clearly broken Ryan Poles has done some good things. Matt Eberflus hasn't really done anything except lose ball games. But the bottom line is it's not enough that Ryan Poles has done. And if Ryan Poles keeps his job or not, that's going to be the question. So actually, let's dive into questions. Speaking of that, because Dolmite79, his question is, will the Bears fire Poles and Flus or just Flus? So here's what I say to that Dolmite TBD. Flus, I agree with you, gone. There's almost nothing that can happen the rest of this season to save his job. He simply cannot win games, and he doesn't look the part to me. He doesn't have accountability to him or his coaching staff. You know, he comes up there, and the Bears lose 41 to whatever the hell it was, you know, against uh, Kansas City. Oh, we did some good things. No, you didn't, Matt. So I've had enough of Matt, but Ryan Poles, and that's what I've been talking about here. I talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, talked about it a little bit with Jason Fitz. He still needs to be fully examined as to the job he has done. Because when you look at Ryan Pulse's resume here in Chicago, one, again, I say you should give a GM three years, but he's only had two. So in theory, he should have another season at least to be determined if he should stay as the general manager. But you're Kevin Warren, you're the president of this team. 
you have an opportunity, right? You're going to move on from Justin Fields. You're going to move on from Matt Eberflus. You have an opportunity to line everything up. So if you want to bring in a new GM, line everything up. Don't keep Ryan Poles around for another year or two and then fire him and bring someone in with a current head coach. And a, No, don't screw this up. If you're committing to Ryan Poles, you're committing to Ryan Poles to the length of this next coach, which is at least what they did with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. So you need to make sure you have fully committed to Ryan Poles for the next three to four years at this point because you're going to have to make a change at head coach and that's going to change his timeline a little bit. But Ryan Poles' process has been sound. They've got, they had a ton of money last year. They're going to have a ton of money this year. He has increased draft capital. Even when he didn't have any, he traded back a bunch of times, racked up a bunch of third-round picks, tried to get something out of those. Jatiri Carter, maybe some success with those third-round picks. Then he goes and makes the trade for DJ Moore, gets more draft capital, puts himself in a position to have two top five picks, the process is sound from Ryan Poles. You can't argue that. But now it's time to look at the evaluations. Was Nate Davis the right guy to pay? Decision you have to make. Was the draft picks of Darnell Wright, Zach Pickens, Javon Dexter, Tyreek Stevenson, Rashawn Johnson, Tyler Scott, Terrell Smith, were those the right selections? A lot of them look like they might be. Some of them may be a little questionable. You have to look at that. you got to look at the year before. Kyler Gordon, Bayless Jones, Jaquan Brisker, Braxton Jones. Were those the right guys? I don't look at six, seventh round guys as much. I look at rounds one through five because that's where the meat and potatoes of the draft is as far as I'm concerned. But you have to look at Demarcus Walker. You know, you have to look at TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds. These are guys that Ryan Pulse committed to. Not the one-year guys. Not the Andrew Billingses of the world who... Let's get a contract extension in for Andrew Billings, as far as I'm concerned, because the guy is playing great football. But we need to look at the guys that Ryan Poles said, no, 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 we're just going to fill a hole with Andrew Billings. We're going to fill a hole with this guy with a one-year contract, Deonta Foreman. We don't need to worry about those ones. We need to worry about the guys that Ryan Poles picked as building blocks for his foundation for the future. Were those good selections? And if you feel... As Kevin Warren, if you feel those are good selections and you feel confident that Ryan Poles is the right guy to make these decisions moving forward, then you keep him. And even if the process is sound, if you don't trust Ryan Poles' evaluations, then it's time to move on. To me, it's that simple. You got to look at the evaluations and make a decision. You know, because again, when you look at this and they know more than we do behind the scenes, the Matt Eberflus hire, I don't really think should be held against Ryan Poles because that really wasn't his decision he was involved in it, but he wasn't part of the finalist. How much was Trace Armstrong involved as Poles and Eberflus are both his guys? You know, Bill Polian put the finalist list together. So it's a little messy there. So I don't hold the Eberflus hire really against Poles, but there are other issues that he's had. The Chase Claypool trade, trading Roquan Smith and then paying Tremaine Edmonds. These are things you have to look at. So overall, you're going to have to make a decision about Ryan Poles here because I certainly think... He, he could go either way right now. Now, how about this? Roberto Foster, since we're here and it hasn't been answered yet, who are your top three head coaching candidates? Well, I've already said one, and it is firmly my top choice, and that's Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator. And here's what I'm looking for. I want an offensive coach, but not only do I want an offensive coach, I want an offensive coach that as far as I know, it's his offense, right? Right? 
Like Matt Nagy was an offensive coach, and I, I did applaud that that hire. But Matt Nagy came from out from underneath Andy Reid. So you didn't know how much was Andy Reid, how much was Matt Nagy. And as it turned out, it was a lot of Andy Reid. So I don't want that. I want an offensive coach, Bobby Slowick, the Texans offensive coordinator, doing wonderful things with C.J. Stroud. That's his offense. D'Amico Ryans is the defensive guy. Uh, Shane Waldron from Seattle. You know, Pete Carroll's more of a, a CEO, but he's more of a defensive head coach. As far as I know, that's Shane, Shane Waldron's offense. Like, that's what I want to look for there. I'm not into Jim Harbaugh. I'm not into Lincoln Riley. If they want to do a big splash like that, we'll have to wait and see on that kind of thing. But if you're asking me right now who are my top three choices, I would probably put those three. Ben Johnson, number one, Slowick and Waldron, second and third. I like Brian Johnson, the, the offensive coordinator in Philly, but again, he's coming from an offensive system. I don't know how much impact he's had on the offense. There's other guys out there as possibilities. You know, Kellen Moore, that's another guy who, you know, absolutely deserves a head coaching opportunity. He hasn't gotten one yet, does some pretty good things. He just, for whatever reason, doesn't quite excite me as the other one. Ben Johnson, to me, top candidate for the Chicago Bears at head coach. And how we'll, we'll finish with this one. Mike in Connecticut. How many hot dogs is the perfect amount in one sitting? Well, I'm a guy who can pack, pack, you know, pack some food in. Uh, I, I can eat. Trust me. I can eat. But if you're having more than two hot dogs in a sitting, you, you've got a problem. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, for, forget, you know, Joey Chestnut here. If you're a guy that eats three, four hot dogs, that is way too many hot dogs. Way too many. Have two hot dogs. Have some fries or some chips. You know, some potato salad, whatever you need to fill out the plate. I'm not saying you can only have two hot dogs, but if you have three hot dogs, I'm sorry. That, that just doesn't cut it, Mike. That just doesn't cut it. We'll finish up with the prediction like we always do. The Chicago Bears against the Las Vegas Raiders at home. And there is zero reason to think the Chicago Bears are going to win this football game. Tyson Bajit instead of Justin Fields, most likely. Fields is currently doubtful. The Raiders, even though I think they are a bad football team, they keep winning games. They are 3-3, three and three, and if they win this one, they are going to have a winning record seven games into this season. I don't think the Raiders are particularly good. Jimmy Garoppolo may not play, so they may have an interesting quarterback as well. I don't know what's going to happen in this one, but I'm going to assume Garoppolo and Fields are both out, and the Raiders win an ugly game. Let's call it 16-12. to 12. The Chicago Bears will lose and fall to one and, what is it, six, seven? I can't keep track. There's too many losses. We'll see if I'm right. Hopefully I'm not. But Chicago Bears fans, I don't know what to tell you at this point. This is another lost season. We'll talk to you soon. Bear down, everybody. Adios. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. 
It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.